Would you pray with me, church? Father, when we think about you, the word good is, is not adequate, but it's all we have. When we think, Father, of all the places that we could have been, of all the things that could have happened, of all the families we could have been born into, of all the situations and time periods that, that we could have arrived in, Lord, and yet you allowed us to be born now into the place, into the family, and into the time that you allowed us to be born. You, you allowed us, Father, to be able to know about your word and know about your son, what he did for us on the cross. You gave us the opportunity, Lord, not just to know those things, but to be able to experience a real relationship with you through the, through the spirit that you gave us when our sins were washed away in baptism. Lord, you, you gave us an opportunity to start afresh, not just once, but every morning and every day as we go to you in prayer and, and ask for that. Father, you are good. And you are so much better than, than good. And Father, we just thank you that while you've left us in this world and while things aren't always a picnic here and there's challenges and there's struggles and there's, there's opportunities and for victory and for defeat, Lord, that, that you haven't left us here alone, that you walk beside us that you fill us with your spirit, and that you've left us your word, that we could be motivated by it, enlightened by it, and challenged by it, and given direction. Lord, I just pray that in this season of, of time, that, Lord, you would just help your church to really, really come alive, really to recognize, Lord, that thing in life that is most important, that beautiful opportunity that we have. Lord, I think there's a world that's just desperately looking for something real, and we know, Lord, that can only be found in you and in your plan for our life. Help us to be the best ambassadors for you that we can be. I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts as we open your word. That God, you could motivate us and challenge us to see, see things from your perspective. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last five weeks now, we've been kind of taking this journey along with Jesus. It, it begins at, at a moment, as John puts it, in, or Luke rather puts it in Luke the ninth chapter, when Jesus resolutely sets his face toward Jerusalem. He, he begins from this point on to begin a journey that will culminate with his death and then a burial and then resurrection from the grave. And, and yet, it's that difficult first chapter of this moment that really is haunting Jesus. Jesus realizes that this this beautiful period of time where he's able to, to love on these guys and to encourage these, these 12 that are, that are with him is drawing to a close. And, and you can see in the text as you read through it how Jesus is intentionally addressing things that he may have not addressed before, intentionally walking the disciples through certain paths because he knew that they needed it. And, and this morning we, we, we left, or last week rather, we, we left Jesus with an invitation to go to a Pharisee's house, to be a guest at dinner, right? And uh, we're going to skip over that, that portion of, of Luke the 10th chapter, and, uh, or Luke the 11th chapter rather. You guys can read through that if you want to. Jesus gives the, the woes, the famous woes to those Pharisees. They, they were people who thought that they were okay. They thought their, their outward righteousness was going to make up for their inward lacking. And, and Jesus said that doesn't work like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> we, we, are, we are people that are defined by who we are in our relationship with God first. And then when, when the inside is, is okay, then the outside just naturally becomes okay. And, and then we're picking up today in Luke, the 12th chapter, and it begins in an interesting sort of way. It, it just simply says, in the meantime... <laughs> It's kind of like in the old movies. Well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? So meanwhile, while all this is going on, Jesus, um, there's, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. So let, let's just set this up this morning so we can see it because I think understanding where Jesus is right here really helps us to understand everything else that flows out of Luke, the 12th chapter. Because Luke 12 is rather like parts of Luke 11, and it seems kind of disconnected. But this is actually a sermon that runs through about the fifth or sixth verse of Luke, the ninth, uh, 13th chapter. This is kind of a complete discourse, but the crazy thing about this sermon is is that Jesus is teaching this sermon primarily, or at least at first, to his 12 closest disciples while he is in the middle of an absolutely crazy crowd of people, right? So Jesus is out teaching, and on every side, there's so many people that they're pushing on one another and trampling one another. And then Jesus says, hey, this is a great time for me to teach you guys about some things that you really need to know. What is Jesus going to teach his closest friends in the middle of a moment where there's just absolute insane amounts of requests on Jesus? What is it that Jesus thinks is, is more important to address to this inner circle of 12 guys than this huge crowd of people that have come to listen to him that day? Now, I don't know. I don't know that there's an official title to this. You know, earlier back, we have the Sermon on the Mount, right? And we've kind of named it that. Um, that uh, in that moment where Jesus sits down and the crowds come around him, and he, it's just a brilliant bit of teaching. Uh, a few years ago, I had an opportunity uh, to go and, and preach when Mr. Roy was still uh, preaching up in, 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 uh, in yeah, up north. All right. I, I can never remember if it's Indiana or Ohio or West Virginia. They're all up there together. Anyway, um, he, was, he was preaching up north and he invited me up to preach on this weekend. They have this cool weekend called the Sermon on the Mount weekend. They do this every year. It's kind of their revival sort of thing. And they bring people in and, he, and they share a, a, about different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. So I get brought up to, to do that. And I was super excited. And, uh, and it was, I was intimidated to start with because there were guys that I had listened to preach um, when I was a kid that were in attendance that day for my sermon. But what Mr. Roy didn't tell me is he was bringing this young kid up. At that time, he was a fairly young kid, um, at least to me. His name was Aaron. And, and Aaron, he said, Aaron's going to do this little theatrical thing once you're done. I'm like, okay, all right, great. You know, so I get up there and I'm preaching the word about the Sermon on the Mount. Already you feel a little insignificant preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. It's like you're trying to take Jesus' notes and then somehow apply them. And you're like, eh, I'm not doing a very good job. And then Aaron gets up. He, he comes out on stage. Right? I was just talking about this with someone last week. Comes out on stage in complete dress like Jesus and quotes from memory the entire part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I was like, why, Roy, did you invite me to come preach at your event, you know? Thanks, Roy. Um, but a uh, fantastic guy, fantastic memory. I just, I, I love that. He just, he, got, he just got up there and he, and he preached the whole thing. And you realize even just us listening to that text spoken in context, that was a powerful sermon. But this sermon, I guess I'll entitle it, it's not probably in your Bibles in this way, but, but I think it should be called the Sermon on the Crowd. 
Because Jesus realizes that in this moment, the disciples are looking, (laughs) and they're seeing all these people, and they're seeing success. They're seeing we've arrived. They're seeing influence and, and, and changing the world right here. And Jesus said, hey, guys, before you get all excited, let's talk a little bit about the crowd. Let's talk about this big group of people. Because Luke gives us a little secret about this big crowd of people that have amassed. This group of people were here for themselves. And you might say, at least I say this, and you might say, well, Jason, how do you know? Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them were. Listen to this, that they had gathered together that many were trampling one another. This wasn't a group of people that had gathered together and say, we want to gather together and we want to serve other people to the ultimate best of our capability. Watch out for the old people. Be careful. No, this wasn't the kind of crowd that had gathered to listen to Jesus. This was a mob crowd. They just gathered together because they wanted something. They wanted to hear something from Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. They wanted to receive something personally from Jesus, as we'll see in a moment right here. And Jesus is like, whoa, listen, 12, let's talk about what we see right here. You know, it's not even just important really for the 12 to see this. It's kind of important for us to see this too. What is it that Jesus is going to tell these guys? Now, Luke is going to remind us on a number of occasions that really in a lot of ways, this is a a sermon, or at least the first half of this sermon, is a sermon for the disciples. Far more than for the crowd that gathers. He will speak to the crowd later. And Luke says there's so many thousands in, in a lot of the text, literally maybe tens of thousands. We don't know how many people had, cl- had shown up this day to see Jesus, but this is the first words that Jesus says to the disciples. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The very first words that Jesus says to the crowd or to the 12 as they're kind of huddled is the way I see it in my cartoon bubble. There are 12, 13 guys in the middle of this huge crowd that's just pressing in. Jesus said, hey guys, come here, come here, come here. Hey, lean in. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They've got to be thinking, okay, Jesus, what's going on right here? <laughs> I entitled the sermon this morning, Staying Awake and prepared because that's exactly what Jesus is about to tell the 12 disciples because the crowd can have a real well a real effect on us and so can hypocrisy hypocrisy does a couple things and if we're not really cognizant of them if we're not aware of them they can kind of sneak up on all of us guys and probably you and I have all been guilty of hypocrisy before hypocrisy does two things that Jesus recognized many of the people in that crowd and even some of those in his inner circle were going to struggle with the first thing it does is it gives us a false sense of security we think yeah I'm all right why what because I, I, I do all these things so I'm okay The second thing that that hypocrisy does is it gives us a really incomplete understanding of actually how ready we are to be with the Lord. There's a few things as a preacher that that break my heart. And uh, I think there's probably nothing more that, that really affects me deeply than when I'm asked to go and to visit with somebody who's near the end of their life. And without being a judgmental person, I recognize that they have made really very little, if any, preparation to see God. And I sit down and I begin to try to have that conversation with them. How are you with God? Where are you in your walk with God? Have you, have you, have you, have you 
given your life to the Lord? Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you walked in the light of the Holy Spirit? Any of those things, and there's this sense in their mind that I'm, I'm okay, I'm good enough. And so many people say this phrase to me. They say, Jason, I, I've done a lot more good in my life than bad. As if the idea is that we somehow have to tip the scale. And I think that hypocrisy, well, kind of fuels that, doesn't it? I don't think, guys, we really understand how, how bad we are. There's a quote in our, in our bulletin today from C.S. Lewis, and he shared this a long time ago. He said, you never really realize how bad of a person you are until you try to be good, right? <laughs> until you try to behave. Some of you remember this when you were kids, right? It was your birthday or it was coming Christmas, and you wanted to get presents. You're trying to be good. Oh, you're trying to be good. It's so hard to be good. And, and, and guys, I don't think we realize just the enormity of our sin the enormity of our brokenness, we just kind of look at ourselves and we say, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm all right. There's more good about me than bad about me. And we don't understand what Paul reminds us of in Romans. The wages of sin, singular there, the sin is death. It's not like we have to sin to a certain level till we reach there. God told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And that was, that was carried out. Now, Satan kind of convinced them, hey, it's not that big of a deal. You're not surely going to die. God doesn't really mean it, but he, he did. And, and so Jesus is going to give us a little bit of, of background here about how to deal with those two things. Jesus is fresh out of the Pharisee's house. You remember back in, in, in Luke 11, chapter, verse 43, Jesus, in that woe to the Pharisees thing, he said, woe to you Pharisees. For you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The apostles might have been looking around at this big crowd and they might be thinking, we finally arrived. And Jesus said, don't let that fool you guys. That's what the Pharisees live for. That's the influence. That's what the word leaven means. It's kind of like a, the stuff that you put in bread. We call it yeast today. And you mix just a little bit of a round in that lump of flour and sugar and water. And, and, and then you let it grow. And what actually happens is biologically that little pinch of yeast begins to grow throughout that whole loaf of bread. And it begins to ferment the breads and sugars. And it makes little air bubbles. It makes bread delectable, right? And that's why we like bread. But Jesus said that leaven, that little bit of influence can spread through something and completely contaminate the whole lump and I don't want you my inner 12 and God doesn't want us today his church in this world today to be leavened or poisoned by this thought process he said, don't, we're not here to get the chief seats in the synagogues we're not here just for respectful greetings when we go to public events Matthew kind of added to that a little bit differently in, in his account of Jesus ministry in Matthew 23 in verse number 5 he said Jesus is talking about the same group of people in that same mindset. He said, but their deeds are being done to be noticed by men. For they, they, they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love the place at honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. He said, this is what these people live for. They love the titles. They love the, they love the dress. They love the stuff that goes with it. And Jesus is like to his close guys, guys, beware of that. Watch out for that. It will poison your soul. You might say, well, Jason, Why? Jesus knew, not all the Pharisees, but Jesus knew that for a lot of the Pharisees, they loved the crowd, but they didn't love God. They loved the attention. 
They loved the respect. They loved the honor. But they didn't really, they didn't really love God. And that's just the point that Jesus is making here today. The crowd is a powerful thing. And concern for pleasing the crowd can cause men to pretend something to be something that they aren't. It can cause people to pretend that they're spiritual when they really aren't. It can cause people to become hypocrites, which is what he defines the leaven or the poison of the Pharisees to be. It can cause people to fake what they are because they want to please their, their peers. And so Jesus is going to go on the rest of this sermon, if you will, and he's going to talk to his inner group and then eventually the crowd in general about how do we avoid this poisoned mindset? How do we make sure that we don't allow ourselves to get sucked into the vortex of hypocrisy and lose sight of what it is that really God is calling us to be? And Jesus gives a powerful powerful reminder to all of us and that every single story in Luke the 12th chapter probably stories you've heard before we're not going to have time this morning to dig into them right they're kind of epic stories we're just going to cruise over the top of them but but as we do I think you're going to understand the significance of what he's saying right here and, and, and Jesus is saying this in the midst of this massive crowd don't don't forget this and he's he's talking really to the closest 12 and the first thing he reminds us Ryan reminds him of can't talk this morning is this don't be afraid of the wrong things. We, we, we all are, are fearful on occasion of certain things, right? All of us have something that we're afraid of here today. Some of us say, oh, I'm fearless, and some of us who are the most fearless are sometimes the most fear-filled people. Jesus said the important thing is to figure out what it is that we should be afraid of and what we shouldn't be afraid of. Being afraid of certain things, guys, is completely rational and wise, because we are frail and small human beings, aren't we? Even the biggest and baddest of us, right? If we come into fight with a machine of our own making, like we get in a car accident, for instance, it, it can take our life, right? We're not, we're not all that robust. And even while we're young, we think that we're kind of 10 foot tall and bulletproof. As we grow a little bit older, we begin to realize I'm not that big. I'm not that invulnerable. So we all have fears. But Jesus said, what are we afraid of? And he turns to this group of just close friends and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. We're in Luke, the 12th chapter in verse four, if you're following along. Do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm marginally concerned about people that are out to kill me. Anybody else here today a little concerned if someone shows up and wants to kill them? All right, you guys are a much more bold crowd than me right here, all right? If, if somebody is out to kill me or I think they're out to kill me, I'm paying attention to that. But Jesus said, don't be afraid of people who are out to kill you physically. And after that, there's nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's a pretty powerful passage right there, right? Thank God that Jesus kind of continues. And he's talking to his friends, right? He opened that up. He said, friends, listen to this. Don't be afraid of people that can take your life and then they're done with you. God not only has the opportunity and the authority to take your life, but he also has the authority to place you permanently in eternity where you will belong. If there's somebody you're going to be afraid of, fear God, right? And then he, he reminds us of this in verse number six. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
This time of year, we're beginning to see a lot of the migratory birds come back through on their trip back north into the summer to do nesting, right? And, and, and we see them, just big bunches of birds and trees sitting on power lines, flying from place to place. Certain times they'll be moving through fields and it just seems like the whole sky is moving with, with their movements. It's a beautiful thing, but we don't stop to really think about those individual birds. Jesus said, Sparrows, five of them are sold for two pennies. They're worthless in our economy. But he tells us this, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Think about this for just a moment, guys. God knows about little songbirds that we don't even have the time for. He said not one of those is forgotten before God. Then he says something that just really, well, kind of causes a hair. No, never mind. Not in my case. Um, Why even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Church, this is one of the most powerful and beautiful passages. And when you think about when Jesus is telling this, there's a crowd of people out around here. Right? They want Jesus' attention. Hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us about this. And Jesus is like, hey, huddle up, guys. Listen, listen, listen. Don't be afraid of people who can kill you. Because this very crowd, probably some of the people in this crowd are going to be some of the very ones that are shouting in a few months, crucify, crucify in Jerusalem. Crowds are fickle. One moment they're your friend, the next moment they're your greatest enemy. One day you're the hero, the next moment you're a zero. Jesus said, don't worry about people who can kill you. Make sure that you're doing what God's called you to do. And don't think that that means that you're not important to him. Because he knows when songbirds fall. He knows how many hairs are in the top of your head. And for a lot of us, people like me, that's a changing number every day, right? He knows me better than I know myself. I have no idea how many hairs are on my head. He knows that. He's, his sovereign understanding of who I am is absolutely complete and he cares about me. You know, the several years ago in the... In the, in the church in America, there was a well-intentioned shift in church culture that the crowd became kind of sovereign. What I mean by that was, is we began to ask ourselves, what does the crowd want from the church? And that's a good question in some ways, if it's phrased correctly. But what we forgot to ask was the original question of what does God first want from the church, right? As long as God wants what God wants from the church comes first, we're okay. But in some places, we, we, we kind of superseded that with what, what would make our, our congregation, our church, the most welcoming it could be? What sort of sermons does a crowd want to hear? What sort of lessons would the crowd tolerate? What kind of culture does the crowd think is important? I went to tons of church conferences over the years and I've learned a lot and I've been very blessed to be able to go, but I've heard a lot, a lot of classes about a lot of those themes and so have you guys. But Jesus reminds us that the ultimate priority is not necessarily what the crowd wants, but what God wants first. And there'll come a time where what God wants is not going to be what the crowd wants. This day probably is an example that the crowd wants Jesus to do stuff for him. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not interested in that today. <laughs> today, I, I'm going to teach Banner 12, and then I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> so the first thing is, we need to be aware of who we need to fear. The second thing is this. We need to always acknowledge Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 8. He says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men... 
the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Now, I know I'm beating this to death, guys, but I just don't want you to forget the context in which this story is being told. Jesus is in the middle of a massive crowd of people, and he's talking to his friends. Because he knows his time is limited. He knows that this is a moment. This is a moment that's been set up for them to understand this better than any other. They're surrounded by a group of people that think that Jesus is a rock star. And Jesus is saying, now listen guys, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the angels of God. And the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and before the rulers and before the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in in that very hour what you ought to say. I would love to preach this whole thing, but you guys know I bit off way more than I can chew. So let's just look at that first part of this text this morning as it fits with what we're talking about. Jesus said, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels in heaven. Guys, there's going to be a moment in life where all of us are going to want to be acknowledged. And that's on the day that we're standing in the presence of God. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like. I can't begin to, to wrap my mind around this. It's hard enough for me to fathom where Jesus is teaching right here. But there's coming a day and time where everything in this world is going to be forgotten. Our lives are going to be ended. And we're going to be standing, as Revelation, the 22nd chapter tells us, we're standing before a holy and awesome and powerful God. And at that moment, our eternity is in the balance. And Jesus said, if you acknowledge me, If you confess me before men, if you're living out your faith before the people that you're walking in, if you are standing up to the crowd, as the case may be, for my glory, then I will acknowledge you before the angels in heaven. Remember, Jesus here is is reminding the the disciples of how not to be poisoned by the leaven of the Pharisees, that really short-sighted kind of thinking. They just wanted to have the pleasure of the moment. They wanted to be the the hit of the crowd now. They wanted people to think that they were holy and spiritual people here. And Jesus is like, hey guys, there's some bigger picture right here. Because there's there's a God in heaven and he has your eternity in his hands. And, and, And if you want me to acknowledge you on the day that you stand before my heavenly father, then here's the time for you to acknowledge me. Don't worry about what the crowd thinks of you here. Worry about what I think of you there. And what a cool thing that will be. Stop to think about that this morning. Standing in front of the angels that are in heaven. I don't know what those beings are like, but every time in the scripture that someone encounters one, they fall down like they're dead. This must be something that just is like sensory overload. This is something that we can't even imagine in the glory of God. And we're standing there, and then Jesus steps out and said, hey, Jason, how are you? Welcome home. Wow, huh? Does Does that kind of put life in a little bit of a perspective? Maybe you lost a little job here in life because you were ethical, but now you're standing before God and God calls you by name and says, come on in. Maybe, maybe you went through a real trial in life right here and maybe the crowd kind of turned on you because you, you held firm to your biblical convictions and even though it wasn't comfortable and even though people kind of pushed you aside, now in the moment that it really matters, Jesus said, hey buddy, you're one of my family. You have a seat at my table. You're a part of my group of people because you were faithful while you were out there in the field. 
I don't know about you guys, but if, if my name has got to be called one time in this world, I want it to be called then, right? I want, to, I want it to be Jesus that calls my name. And Jesus said, if you, want, if you want me to confess your name, Jason, then you've got to be willing to confess my name in front of the people that, that you're living with, in front of the crowd that you call your culture or your society. Man, there's so much I'd like to talk about, but we're going to have to move on because as Jesus is in the middle of this conversation right here, <laughs> some guy has been waiting for a long time. Right? He came out today and he was, he was going to get his pound of flesh, right? And so Jesus is having this huddle up in the middle of the group. He got up early. He came to Jesus. He's had enough. I don't know what Jesus is talking about with his inner circle, but I need my need met right here. And that's what we have in verse 13 because it said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to invi- divide the inheritance with me. Now, in those days, I don't have time to break this all down, but you should understand that the older brother was kind of the one in charge, and, and, and it was his responsibility when the father passed to kind of divide the estate according to his father's wishes. Jesus tells us a little bit about that in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and, and apparently, this older brother or this, this, this brother that was supposed to do that wasn't doing it. He was just kind of dragging his feet. Maybe it was because it was financially profitable for him to hold off the rest of his family. Maybe he was greedy, terrible, awful, no good person. I don't know. And the remarkable thing about this is is that Jesus is not concerned either. So this guy says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. I have an idea that he's brought his brother, right? (laughs) Like, we're going to see Jesus, and Jesus is going to tell you to divide the inheritance with me. That's what I see, right? I don't know. I don't have a brother, so you guys will have to figure that in. But in verse 14, Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus is like, I am not interested in touching your family feud with a 10-foot pole. I'm not concerned about, about your interpersonal family squabble. But then he finishes in verse 15, and then he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, or greed, we would say maybe, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So this guy comes, gets up early, drags his brother. I don't know if he dragged his brother, right? But, but he, he comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm going to get a word from Jesus. I'm going to go home and say, Jesus says you've got to divide the inheritance today. And then he says, Jesus, tell him to do it. And Jesus said, I'm not a judge. I'm not a civil judge. I'm not, I'm not weighing in on your family squabble. But listen, buddy, be careful about greed because your life does not consist of the abundance of of your possessions. You might think, oh, I, I want this stuff. I want my dad's lake house, or I want what, I don't know what it was. Jesus is like, be careful. And then he begins to tell this story. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nothing to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones and then I will store all my grain and all my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and drink and be merry. So why don't you, why don't you just pile it all up in a heap and then you can chill for a while, right? You can relax. You can live on your abundance right here. Jesus said, but God said to him in verse 20, fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? 
So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. This guy come and asked Jesus for a judgment. He leaves Jesus with a story. Jesus said, imagine this guy, and he had a great year, and he had a bumper crop, and he piled it up, and boy, it was really good. And he thought, I'm going to build great big barns. I'm going to store it all up, and I'm never going to have to be profitable again. I'm just going to lay back and relax and enjoy it. And God says, you're a fool, because I'm going to ask you to give account for your life tonight. And what have you done with it? And then Jesus asks the other question that's kind of a big one. All that stuff you're fighting for, buddy, who's going to get it when you're gone? Who's going to fight over it when you're gone? Maybe we'll just finish here with what Jesus said. He said, so the one who lays up treasure, or so it'll be for the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. Let me just point out a couple things of what Jesus said here. He didn't say there was a problem with money. He didn't say there was a problem with being wealthy. He said there was a problem with being greedy of just storing it up and keeping it for yourself, for your good. I think God has entrusted some people with the ability to make and to use money and to share it with people, right? That's their spiritual gift. If that's you here this morning, don't feel like that because you have money that you're some kind of awful person, but use it for God's glory. Make sure that you've structured it in such a way that you're not just comfortable in this world, but that you're doing and contributing and feeding into the kingdom. That's what God's called us to do. That's why he gave us all that extra to start with. You remember throughout scripture, I don't have time to go in this, but throughout scripture, God gives abundance, but for a purpose either to share with other people or, or sometimes to prepare for a season that's going to be challenging coming ahead. But whatever the case may be, Jesus addresses the guy simply with these words, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed. And, and that's an interesting little phrase right there, all kinds of greed. We like to kind of just put greed in the category of money. But, but if I can, just rapid fire, um, there's all kinds of greed it might be things like books or shoes or other tangible things, right? I want a car like that guy's car, right? Or it might be amassing money as we talked about or land or wealth like this parable talked about. Greed can also be about, about time and about attention and about approval and about love, about knowledge, about power, about control. It can be about so many things. It's things that we want for ourselves so that we can be in charge and we can be secure and we can be in control. And Jesus said, look, we're never the ones in control. He is. He's the one who has his life, our life in his hand. So, so make sure that you're not just trying to control your world right here. Make sure that you're using what God has given you for his glory and for his purpose. Guys, ultimately, greed is not about the things that we're greedy about. It's really more about, well, it's, it's a spiritual symptom of a deeper issue. It's not, about, it's not about the quantity. It's about the condition of our heart. And I think all of us know today exactly where this guy was. And I think we all know how the guy that comes to Jesus kind of felt because we felt like that before. Jesus, tell this person to do the right thing, right? Tell them to, to do what I know they need to do. Tell them to do what's just. And we want Jesus to side with us. But Jesus said, Jason, Jason, are, are you being a little bit more greedy than you need to be? Do you trust me that I'm going to take care of you? <laughs> God's asked me that question a couple times in my life, and if I answered honestly, I would say to you no. 
No, I don't, Lord. That's why I think I've got to do it. But you and I both know that's the wrong answer this morning. And Jesus is telling this guy, but his group is in a group of 12. Hey, guys, wrong answer. God has everything under control. Make sure you're rich toward him. And everything else is going to work out. Remember what Jesus said when he said, you guys worry about all kinds of stuff, but don't worry about all those things. And we actually intentionally, I skipped over the section in this text where it talks about being anxious because we talk about that a lot. If you are a person that struggles with anxiety, you need, to, you need to focus in on that. But there's more than I could cover in this text this morning. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. First, notice that first, the kingdom of God and live right in all these things that you worry about. They'll be added to you. God doesn't have short arms. God can provide what we need, but he wants to see us seeking him first. The last thing that Jesus says here in this text, well, not really the last, but the last thing we have time to talk about as we close this morning is what he says in Luke, the 12th chapter, and verse 35. He, he tells the disciples, and this is kind of the last little bit um, that he's, he's talking to them personally, and he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they will open the door for him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will dress himself for service and he will have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or even in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour at which the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. There's one thing that I, I, I know about Scripture, and this is a theme that's just kind of through the whole entirety of the Bible. And a lot of times we get caught up in these things, and we're, we're quitting, we're finished here this morning. But, but one of the things that we often kind of like, wonder is when's God going to come again and people are kind of pouring over revelation is today the day uh, I want to I want a time and a moment right and, and people have thought that they've had it before right they buy billboards and say Jesus is coming at this particular date at this particular time or in between these two seasons and Jesus is painful to remind us that, that you're not really going to know when Jesus is coming you might know the season you might have an idea of about when it's going to happen but you don't know the moment. Jesus said it's going to be like it was before the, during the flood. Men are going to be marrying and giving in marriage. The world is going to kind of be ebbing along like it always has. Maybe everything is lined up for him to come, but, but we don't know it's going to be today. Here's what Jesus said. We need to be ready no matter when he comes, no matter what hour of the day or night. Now, you notice this language here this morning. It's kind of special, right? Because the servants are up and awake listening for that knock on the door when the master comes to the door so they can rush to the door and they can open up and they can welcome him home. But you notice what Jesus said happens after they welcome him into the house? It's not like they prepared a meal. My mom did this one time. I'll never forget. It's one of my favorite stories of my mom because she, uh, we, we, get, we get stuck on the road in terrible, terrible weather. It's, uh, it's like... Two o'clock in the morning. Josh, were you with us on that trip? I don't remember. 
I don't think so. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. We roll into Diane Quarter's house, and it was like she had been watching, listening to this parable, right? It was, the house was all done. The table was spread with dinner at 2 o'clock in the morning. We had, I can tell you, we had tacos like, spread out all on the table right here. All the kids like, are walking in with me to my mom and dad's house wondering, number one, how are we going to fit? And number two, um, where did this meal come from at 2.30 in the morning, right? We're eating like, like a, a feast at 2.30 in the morning right here. She was ready and listening. And Jesus said, imagine this, that, 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 that I'm knocking at the door and you open up the door and Jesus comes in and said, I'm home. Now you guys go ahead and, and sit down at the table and I'm going to fix dinner for you guys and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to care for you because that's what I want to do all along. I just wanted you to be ready. I wanted you to be awake. I wanted you to be alert. I wanted you to be paying attention. I don't want you to be asleep at the wheel. So church, Here's what I'm saying today. Let's not be tempted by Satan to fall asleep. What we believe is too important. The opportunity that we've been given is too rich. Our God is too good for us to fall asleep at the wheel and say, you know what, I'm going to give in to the pressures of society around me or, or I'm going to give in to just making myself happy and, and fulfilling the greed that I want for the things that I want in this life. Life is too short for us just to get lackadaisical and lazy and say, you know what, maybe if God comes back, I hope I'm ready. Jesus said, no, make sure that you don't let the, the, the Pharisees leaven infect your life. Make sure you're not a hypocrite. Make sure that you're not consumed by the stuff that's in this world. And my, my friends, don't, don't ever let down your guard. You be ready for the entire time. Now, Luke asked, or Peter asked a question. Peter's always the guy who asks the question, right? And Peter asks this question. He's like, Lord, are you telling this for, for us or for the crowd? Wait a second. Is this still for us? <laughs> who are you speaking to right here? And Jesus said, the Lord said, then who is a faithful and wise manager whose master will set over his house and give him the portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant to whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Jesus goes on to tell Peter, look, Peter, you want to be doing what, my, what I'm talking about here. It means that you're caring for the church. It's caring for the kingdom. You're working with people. You're building up that next generation of Christians and the next generation of Christians and the next gen- that you're, you're fulfilling your duty in that particular season. We're going to close this morning. And as we do, I'm just going to tell you a quick story that comes from, uh, comes from uh, kind of an old, uh, <laughs> an, old, uh, an old book written years ago in the, during the campaign of General Stonewall Jackson. And uh, it was his famous Valley campaign. If you know history, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know history, you don't care. But uh, General Jackson comes up and he tells the guys, look, we need to get, we need to get over this, this river. And so he tells his engineers, guys, you need to figure out how to get a bridge built over this river. And then he goes up and he, as he's kind of working his way through, he, he tells the, the chief of his, of his uh, group of guys that, that handle his mechanized stuff, the, the wagon master, there we go. He tells the wagon master, he said, look, he said, you need, guys need to be ready because we need to cross this river as soon as possible. I have the engineers working on it right now, and uh, as soon as you get across that river, report back to me, because we're gonna move the troops. We're gonna get ready for the next part of our campaign. If you know the story, um, you know why that was so important. Middle of the night, he's awoken up. He's awoken by the, the wagon master on the edge of the tent. He said, sir, all the wagons and gear are on the other side of the river. 
Jackson's like, what? What he didn't know is as soon as he told the wagon master this, the wagon master just went and found every available thing he could find and threw it into the river. And he had made a makeshift bridge across this river and he had passed all the equipment and everything over and his entire regiment is on the other side of the river waiting for the armies to cross over. And General Jackson asked the question. He said, where are the engineers? He said, they're still in the tent trying to work out how to build a bridge. Now there's nothing against engineers this morning. They're some of my favorite people. But the point is, sometimes church, we've been that persons that have been sitting there trying to figure this out. When Jesus said, just get out there and do something. Get out there and throw some stuff into the river. Get out there and try to make a bridge over to the lost world. You may not be the best suited person. You might not have the best gear. You may not have the stuff that you need, but I will give you what you need. Sometimes in life, we just need somebody that says, let's go for it. Let's do this, because if God is for us, who can be against us? A sermon, a sermon on the crowd, really. Later, Jesus will talk to the crowd. You can read that for yourself if you would like in the rest of chapter 12 and the first part of 13. But he warns his closest disciples of three things. Be be careful of hypocrisy, avoid greed, and be ready. And church, I think if we do those three things today, we'll find that we are overcomers just like the apostles were all those years ago. If you have a need this morning, church, you know always there's people here that want to talk to you about that. If you've never been immersed into Christ and you've been putting that off, today's the day to do that. Make that decision. If you want to just sit down and have someone pray with you, or if you want to step forward in this moment and say, church, I need the prayers for something I'm going through, right now's a great time as we stand together and we're going to sing. Let's praise God.